It's a pleasure to be here with you this Sunday morning as we continue our series in 1 Peter, who the sun sets free is free indeed. I love that song. I love that song, and it is so true. And that is primarily the topic of our sermon today, of our message today, is freedom, freedom in Christ. Now, last week, if you were here with us, uh, I, I brought your attention to 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 13, which is where I think we find Paul's, or Peter, I'm sorry, his main thesis to this book. His main point in this book is essentially this, think clearly and live in light of the hope that we have. Let's read that verse together. Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Set your mind clearly on that hope. That's Peter's thesis throughout this entire book. That is his main point. That is how we should read every other statement and claim and and, uh, chapter and verse in this book. And so if we're going to understand that, I think there's something we really need to get a grasp of, and that is what is this hope? See, today we're going to interact with some pretty tough verses. We're going to interact with some, some really difficult passages in Scripture. And I think in order for us to really understand what Peter has for us today, what he's trying to tell us, we have to have a really firm grip on our hope. And I think we use that word a lot, we talk about hope a lot, but oftentimes it's just kind of a a vague notion that kind of sits out there in the clouds that we don't really understand. And I can't stress enough how important it is for us to understand the hope that we have. Because we can't fully put our hope, our faith, into something we don't really grasp. Vague notions of hope cannot compete with harsh realities of life. Simply having a vague notion of some, of some future hope that we don't grasp and we don't understand will not compete when you are met day to day with the harsh realities of life. So what is this hope? What is our hope? What is the hope that we have? Well, I think in order to understand that, we have to back way up. You see, this is the world. And in the world, we will have troubles. This is not heaven. There will be troubles in this world. And why are there troubles in this world? Well, the simple answer is this. There is a curse on this world. There's a curse on this world. When we go back to Genesis chapter 3, we read of the fall of mankind. We read of Adam and Eve and their first sin, their disobedience to God and their fall. And the result of that fall is God placing a curse on this world. And there are three main elements to that curse, three kind of broad categories that fall under the curse. And they're essentially this, that there will be broken relationships. Relationships are are broken in two. There's going to be strife between husband and wife. There's going to be broken relationships, the, the fundamental aspects of society. There's a broken relationship between man and God. And then beyond that, we read that labor 
is going to be difficult. We read in in Genesis chapter 3 that that takes on two forms. For women, you see, labor is supposed to produce fruit, right? So for women, the, the great labor that women are capable of undergoing is the labor of childbirth. And it produces this amazing fruit, this wonderful fruit, new men and women, children. But we learn in in this fallen world that it is tremendously painful, that it is difficult, that this amazing fruit that is produced, these wonderful children, will not be produced easily, but that women will labor in pain and in suffering to produce this wonderful fruit. It's going to be difficult. There's going to be pain involved. And then we read that the fruit that we try to bring from the ground, that the labor that we work at all of our lives to try to bring forth produce from the ground, that also is frustrated. That also is difficult, that with the fruit will be produced thorns and thistles and weeds, and that we will strive all of our lives, working all of our lives, trying to produce something good, but that it will always be frustrating and difficult. Now, who can identify with that, with both of those? I mean, we we have a very prodigious church in terms of producing this wonderful fruit called children, but it's difficult. I know, my wife has gone through it three times. It's it's labor. It's difficult. We have, we have so associated labor in that context with pain and difficulty. Throughout history, giving birth to children was the number one cause for the death of women and for children. It is difficult. And who here who works every day, whether it's in the home or whether it's out in the workforce, who here in their labor day to day doesn't find this world incredibly frustrating and incredibly difficult? We all do. The things that we try to produce, the things that we try to make, even to the extent we're productive at them and we, we create good things, it is difficult and it is frustrating and it is never as good as we want it to be. Nobody in this world, nobody in this room certainly has ever said, I've made it. I've made it. I don't need to produce any more. I can rest. All of us feel, at least I think everybody here feels, that we still we have to do more. We have to continue to struggle in this world. Because this world is a struggle. And that is an element of the curse. That it's never enough. We always want more. We always have to produce more. That is an element of the curse, this frustrating feeling that it's, it's never quite enough. You know, we see all the time, especially in the news recently, people who have seemed to have it all. I'm uh, thinking of a particular famous individual who had a, a show on TV that, that was fascinating to me. I mean, he would travel all over the world and enjoy the finest foods, have stimulating conversation with the most amazing people, seem to be living the life that all of us say, well, I wish I could live that life, enjoying all the the luxuries of life. 
And then we read just a couple weeks ago that even he decided it's not enough. And he committed suicide. That is a part of this fallen world. That is part and parcel with this world that is broken. Is that it's never enough. We get the thing that we think we want in this world, and then it, it really isn't as good as we ever thought it would be. So we live in this world, we struggle, and then we die. That's the curse. And so our hope, our hope, the hope that Peter is calling us to is a reverse of that curse. The reverse of the curse that is won by Christ. That's our hope. And of course, that means no more death. That means the death of death. That means no more broken relationships. That the things that, that get in between us as husband and wife, as family, as brothers and sisters in Christ, the things that separate us from one another, they will be gone. That there will be no more labor with frustration. That we will be productive and that it will bring us great pleasure. You know, I think that's really hard to get our minds around. I think we can still talk about it that way and it still stay kind of in the realm of the abstract and in the realm of the vague. And so I think one of the things that we can do to help us understand this is to look at Christ. To look at Christ and His ministry in this world and His miracles. You know, one of the amazing things about Christ as we read about His ministry is His ability to do miracles, as His ability at the wedding at Cana to, to turn water into wine, to take a few loaves of bread and a few fish and to break them and to feed 5,000 people with them, His healing the sick and His raising the dead, His calming the storm with a word and His ability to walk along the surface of the water. I read those, and I'm fascinated by that. That in this amazing way, the world just yields itself over to Christ. It just gives itself over to Christ. Why can't I do that? You know, my wife, I know she loves me very, very much. We just celebrated our 13-year anniversary last month, and for our anniversary, she gave me a wonderful gift. She gave me a membership to a gym, okay? <laughs> she loves me. She wants me to be around for a very long time. I know that. She wants me to be healthy, and, and she loves me. But, you know, early in our marriage, I really had to question whether she loved me or not, because one of the things she often asked me to do with her is run a triathlon. Now, everybody knows a triathlon has three events. One is swimming, one is running and one is biking, and I can do biking and running. I can do that, all right? I, I can ride a bike and I can run. Water and me do not get along. I sink, all right? Water does not hold me up. It's a, it does not say you can go to the finish line, collect your $200. It says go directly to the bottom. And so I often wondered, I was like, does she really love me? Because she knows that I sink, Water does not hold me up. 
When it sees me coming, it says, I don't know who you are. You go to the bottom. But when it sees Christ coming, it says, I know who you are. I know who you are. You're my king. You're my king and my creator, and I will hold you up. It knows who its king is. It knows who Christ is. You see, we all fall short of the glory of God. We sin, and the world does not know us. It doesn't know us from dirt. And so in the curse, when God says, from the dust you came and to the dust you shall return, when we die, the world doesn't know us from dirt. But it will not always be so. One day, as the world yielded to Christ, so it will yield to us. There will be no more labor with frustration. There will be labor without frustration. There will be production without pain. Jesus says, in this world you will have trouble. Take heart, for I have overcome the world. And the hope that is promised to us as believers in Christ is that we will also overcome the world. That's our hope, that we will be like Him. In 1 John chapter 3, verses 2, the Apostle John tells us this. He says, Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when He appears, we shall be like Him because we shall see Him as He is. But the great promise of the, of the Christian, the great hope of the Christian is that one day we will be transformed to be like Him, to be a true image bearer of God. And the world will see us and see its King and its Queen's and that it will yield to us as it yields to Him. Now, this reality, this, this hope puts us into touch with two worlds. There are two worlds. There is the present world, which is under the curse. And then there's the world to come, where the curse is removed. We are to live in this world as ambassadors of the world to come. We are to live in this world as witnesses of the world to come. And so here's the question. Are you citizens of this world or are you citizens of the world to come? There are two types of thinking that, that happen depending on your answer to that question. You see, the thinking of the world, the thinking of the people who are citizens of this world is this. This world is all that I have, and I'm going to fight everyone off who tries to take it from me. I'm going to fight, I'm going to argue with anybody who tries to take it from me. If you try to take my life, or if you try to take the things that are important to me here, these are mine, and they are all that I will ever have, and you will not take them. I will fight you for them. And then there's the thinking of those who are in the world to come who are citizens of that world, and their thinking is this, I have it all. 
One says, YOLO, you only live once. And the other says, I'm going to live forever. And I can't lose it. So what kingdom are you a citizen of? What kingdom are you a citizen of? And answering that question is really important to understanding the passages that Peter has for us today. He is talking to to individuals who understand that their hope is not in this world, but it's in the world to come. And that everything they do in this world is as an ambassador for that world and not this one. They are not citizens here. They are citizens of a new kingdom. Last week, as we ended in in chapter 2, verses 9 through 10, Peter told us this. He said, you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, that you are a people of His own possession. We are a peculiar people of God. We belong to Him. We are His possession, His people, and here is what we are to do. We are to proclaim the excellencies of Him who called us out of darkness and into light. Once we were not a people, now we are God's people. Once we did not have mercy, now we have mercy. We have been called out of this world of the curse and into this world in which the curse has been reversed, this new world. And we are to be citizens of that world and ambassadors here. And that's where we pick up today in verse 11. With that in mind, that the sense that we are citizens of that world and not of this world, he says this, Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh. We do not belong to this world. We are exiles in this world. We are sojourners in this world. We are passing through a country that is not our own. We are here only to journey through it and to be ambassadors for the world to come. And so he calls us to abstain from the passions of the flesh. What is a passion? What is a passion? A passion is something we'll struggle for. It's something that we love so much we will struggle for it. You know, Christ had his passion. He suffered and died for his church, for his people. He loved them so much that he laid down his life for them. Sometimes we talk about it in the sense of of love. We, We have a passion for our spouse, for our boyfriend, for our girlfriend. We have a passion for our kids. We will suffer for them. We will struggle for them. We will do what it takes to provide for them, to care for them, to let them know that we love them. And here Peter is saying, there are things in this world, there are passions of the flesh that you will suffer for. And you see it all around you. You see it all around you. Money. Fame. Status. Career. Reputation. Entertainment. Sports teams. Sex, right? There are things in this world that 
that draw our passion, that we will suffer for, that we will put before anything else because we want those things, right? And what Peter is saying here is that anything that puts itself in front of God, anything that this world can offer you, that is tempting you to put itself in God's place, abstain from that. Stay away from it. Any passion of the flesh, anything that you love so much that it gets in the way of you serving as an ambassador for Christ, put it away. Abstain from it. Then he says, they wage war against your soul. These things, many of them not bad things in and of themselves, but to the extent that they get in the way of your worship and service to Christ, they become terrible things. They wage war against your soul. They are trying to steal your attention away from your hope. They are trying to get you to place your hope into something that is finite, that is temporary, that cannot last. And Peter says, put it away. Put it away. Abstain from it. Keep your conduct amongst the Gentiles honorable so that when, you speak, so when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. We are ambassadors for Christ. We are to live in this world as ambassadors, and our conduct should reflect that of someone who is an ambassador for Christ. We are in a foreign land, and we want to give a good name and a good reputation to our King. And so everything we do in this world must be honorable. Everything we do in this world must be to bring honor and glory to our God and to our King, the one who has given us this great hope. Paul, or Peter, goes on in verse 13, and he says this, Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme or to governors as sent by him who punishes those who do evil and praise those who do good. For this is the will of God, that by doing good you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Peter makes a distinction here, an important distinction between human institutions and heavenly institutions. And he makes very clear that we as Christians, as ambassadors for Christ, are to be subject to human institutions. Why? For God's sake. For God's sake. Every action we take in the public sphere must be mindful of the fact that we are ambassadors for God. Everything we do in the public arena must be with the mindset that we are ambassadors for God. Christians should be above reproach, should be doing good in everything because we represent God in this foreign land. 
That is how we should approach all of our dealings in the public arena. And we need that. We need that reminder today more than ever in this environment. Paul continues in verse 17. He says this, Honor everyone. Love the brotherhood. Fear God. Honor the emperor. Honor everyone. Honor everyone, whether they agree with you politically or not. Whether they go to your church or not. Whether they are your friend and are friendly towards you or not. Honor everyone. Honor everyone. Even honor the emperor. Honor the emperor. Now, the emperor was not a good guy. The emperor was not a good guy. I don't care what you think of our current president in this country or what you thought of the previous president of this country. I don't care what political party you are affiliated with. I'll tell you what, neither of those guys and none of the presidents in our history could hold a candle to the emperor. He was a bad dude. He was an evil man in every way imaginable. He worshiped idols ceaselessly. And if he wasn't worshiping idol, he was holding himself up as one, making men bow down and worship him. He was in every sense and in every respect an enemy of God. You can think of names. Peter would have been familiar with with most of the Roman emperors, men like Caligula, who murdered family and who murdered anybody who tried to uh, oppose him. Men like Nero, who were actively engaged in persecuting the church. Peter is not saying, honor the emperor because you know what? I think he's a good guy. He's going to make Rome great again. He wasn't thinking of the emperor as this great man who deserved honor. But he was commanding it for the sake of God. Because the emperor is one of everyone. He's part of the everyone who we should give honor to. We should be subject to human authorities for the sake of God so long as they do not contradict God. And that's tough. That's tough. It's tough in this world where we are living in an age where we lack honor. We don't like to honor people who disagree with us, who are different from us, and it's hard to keep this in mind. But we need this reminder more than ever. We have to be mindful that our hope is not in our political system. Our hope is not in our nation. Our hope is not found in this world at all. Our hope is found in the world to come. And we are ambassadors for that world. And if we get caught up fighting in this world for the things that we think are important, we will very quickly be just part of the world. We will lose our distinctiveness as Christians, as those who are primarily committed and primarily devoted to the kingdom of Christ over the kingdom of anything else. 
I'm going I'm to get myself in trouble, and, and that's okay. Um, this is not a political opinion. It's an observation. It's been fascinating to me over the past several years uh, to, to witness the back and forth about kneeling for the national anthem at football games. I'm just fascinated by it. I have strong opinions about it. I grew up in a military family, and I think people should stand for the national anthem. Uh, that, that, that's me. But I'm fascinated by the dialogue about it. And, and here's what fascinates me about that. There is real anger and real frustration when people do something like kneel for the national anthem on Sunday at a football game. But I wonder how many of those individuals who are angry about that are just as angry that people are skipping church on Sunday to go to a football game. I mean, sure, it, it's, it's disrespectful in some sense, perhaps, to kneel for the national anthem. That's not the custom. That's not the tradition. That seems disloyal to a country that has provided so much. It seems maybe disrespectful to, to men and women who have died for this country. I can understand that. But there's been only one person who has died to give you eternal life. And for ages and ages, the mark of allegiance to that kingdom has been showing up to church on Sunday morning and worshiping. But no one gets upset when somebody gets tickets to a game and decides to skip church and drive down and go watch the football game instead. No one gets upset about that. And my question is this, have we lost perspective on that? Have we forgotten who our allegiance is to? I think those are the kinds of things that Peter would have us press into, that there are marks of distinctions for those of us who, are, who are, have our hope in Christ, that we have our allegiance to something different. And it goes above nation, it goes above people who are similar to us externally, and it goes to our allegiance to Christ and the nation of those who believe in Christ. And we should be committed to that nation above all others. And remember as we engage on Facebook, as we talk in the office, as we go about our public lives, that our first representation is not to the Republican Party, it's not to the Democrat Party, it is to the kingdom of Christ and to conduct all of our business as citizens of the kingdom of heaven. So I missed a, a verse, I intentionally left it out and I want to go back to it now. In verse 16, Peter says this, live as people who are free. Live as people who who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. Live as people who are free. You see, the world has a definition of freedom that I think many Christians have caught on to, and it's this. 
the ability to do what you want. I think that's the common definition of freedom that we all kind of think about and that immediately comes to mind when we, when we consider freedom. But that is not the biblical definition of freedom. That is not the biblical definition of freedom. Do you see the irony in this verse? There's a very clear irony that, that Peter expresses here in this verse. Live as free people. Live as free people. And then look at the last part of that verse. But living as servants of God. Freedom in biblical categories means this. It means service to God. That's the Bible's definition of freedom, being a servant to God. I, I want to play a little game here with you. I'm going to throw out some things, two things here, and I want you to think in your mind, who's free? Who's free in here? One man says this, I can do nothing but what I see my master doing. And then he says this, I did not come to do my own will, but only the will of him who sent me. Or this, they did what seemed right in their own eyes. Which ones are free? The one who came only to do what his master told him to do, the one who could only do, not his own will, but the will of, the, of him who sent him, is that person free? Or the one who did whatever they wanted, whatever seemed right to them in their own eyes? You see, one of those was said by Christ. Christ came and He said, I didn't come here to do my own will. I came here to do the will of Him who sent me. He's, he's the one who said, I can do nothing on my own, only what I see my Father doing. And what was said about Israel in its time of greatest apostasy, in its time of greatest slavery and oppression and persecution was that everyone did what was right in their own eyes. You see, that's what the world will tell you. Just do what's right. Freedom means doing what feels good to you, what, what you think is good. And the Bible says, no, freedom is doing good. And God declares what's good. He's the one who tells us what's good. And so if we are actually going to be free, we do what God tells us to do. Doing good is freedom. Not what seems good to us, but what God has declared is good. Serving God is freedom. And that's why Peter can say here without contradiction, live as free people, serving God, not doing evil, serving God. That's what freedom is. And we need to understand that because the next verses are where the rubber meets the road. The next verses are where this really gets tested, and here it is. Servants, be subject to your masters with all respect, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the unjust. For to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you... I'm sorry, missed that. For this is a gracious thing when mindful of God. One endures sorrows while suffering unjustly. 
For what credit is it if, when you sin, you are beaten for it, you endure? But if, when you do good and suffer for it, you endure, this is a gracious thing in the sight of God. You see, here the rubber meets the road. You see, you have to really understand your role in this world to understand these verses. This would be a much easier text to defend in this world if it said, slaves who have unjust masters revolt, overthrow them. They are evil men. You should cast off your chains, become free, kill your oppressors. This would be an easier verse to defend if it said that in this world. But it would be completely opposite of what Peter has been preaching all along. You see, what the gospel does is it turns the world on its head. It turns the world on its head and it does this. It understands what Peter understands and what he is calling these servants to understand is that, look, your unbelieving master is more of a slave than you are. Your harsh, unbelieving master is the slave. He has no hope. You have hope. And so it is a gracious thing. It is a gracious thing when you can give your life for that person. It's a gracious thing in the sight of God. You were once a slave. Christ has set you free. Your hope used to be in this world, in this world alone. He has given you a new hope for a new world. And you can give away all you have in this world for someone who is truly a slave, your master. So be subject to that master. Be gracious to him. If your master is kind and gentle to you, great. Serve him. Be subject to him. Do him honor so that you may win him to Christ. But even if your master is mean and unjust and beats you for no good reason, be gracious to him. I mean, if you're going to preach that, you better believe it. You better actually believe that there is a hope beyond this world. Because if you were going to preach that to people who are living under a terrible master, and you're going to subject them to a life in this world that is terrible and horrible, and there's no hope outside of this world, how terrible is that? So Peter better actually believe what he's preaching here. And I think he does. You know, I'm struck by a story I read just a short time ago. Pastor Casey, in his opening sermon on 1 Peter, mentioned The Hiding Place, which is a story written by Corey Tinboom about her and her sister, Betsy Tinboom, during World War II, where they are hiding Jews in their home and they are caught, imprisoned. And eventually, they are sent to the concentration camp Ravensbrück in Germany. And there's a particularly affecting story that Corey tells 
at her time in Ravensbrook, where she describes a situation where her and her sister are standing in one of the many long lines where they have to stand all day long as they're processed in and out of the camp. And one woman who has been on this arduous journey and who is just weak falls out of the line. And one of the guards comes over and begins to beat this woman mercilessly. And Corey, feeling terrible for this young woman who is being beaten mercilessly almost to the point of death, says to her sister, Oh, Betsy, one day we'll take care of these people and we'll provide a place where they can learn that love is more powerful than hate. And her sister Betsy said, yes, one day we will, we will teach them that. We will teach them that love is more powerful than hate. And Corey recounts that story, and later she says, you know, it wasn't until hours later, while I was talking about the woman who was getting beaten, that I realized my sister was talking about the guard. That she had this love for this captor who was brutal and mean. And she wanted this guard to understand the power of love, the power of the gospel. Her heart was for the, her oppressors. And Corey goes on to, to explain and describe her journey of forgiveness and how eventually she began this mission of reconciliation, eventually meeting one of the guards who was there at the prison, shaking hands with him, forgiving him, and the freedom that came from being able to forgive her oppressors. That's freedom. When you begin to see that the people in this world who you disagree with or who are, who are anti-Christian, who, who seem to be filled with hate, who, who are mean, rude, and that they're enslaved. And that it's your job to bring them freedom. In wrapping up here, Peter gives us our example. He gives us our example, and it's Christ. And he says this, For to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example, so that you might follow in His steps. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in His mouth. When He was reviled, He did not revile in return. When He suffered, He did not threaten, but continually entrusting Himself to Him who judges justly. He Himself bore our sins in His body on the tree, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By His wounds you have been healed. For you were like stray sheep, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your soul. Peter gives us this final image of Christ. Christ is our example. And I can't help but think he's referring back to, I know he's referring back to that great scene where, where Jesus is standing before Pilate. You see, in that great scene, one man is free and one man is a slave. 
But again, the world is upside down. It's turned on its head. You see, there's two figures here. One man is in chains. He's sentenced to die. His back is in tatters from being whipped, and yet he's free. He can say, you have no authority over me except what is given to you from above. I lay down my life willingly. No one takes it from me. Why can he say that? Because he also says, my kingdom is not of this world. The other man is clothed in authority. He is the governor of the province. He has been given a mission from the emperor. He has on fine robes. He's in his palace. He's sitting on his seat of judgment. And he's a slave. He's a slave because the mob outside is yelling, crucify him, crucify him, crucify him. And the religious leaders are saying, if you let him go, you're no friend of Caesar. And so under the political pressure, because his hope is only in this world and how long he can keep his job, how long he can keep his position, he is enslaved. And so he sends a righteous man to die. See, Peter or Paul, Peter is pointing us to Christ as our example. That you can be free, that you are free, not because of your circumstances in this world, but because of your hope in the gospel. That is what makes you free. And that is why it is so important to have a firm grip on our hope. And so here's the question to close Are you free? Are you free? Does your life reflect that of Christ or that of Pilate? Are you free from the things that pull you in this world, that call you to serve them, or are you you free from those things, or are you subject to them? And one of the ways you can think about this is, how do you see other people? When people challenge you, when you are with difficult people, when the world seems like it's going crazy, does that destroy your joy? Does that crush you? When things are taken from you, does that crush you? When you lose a a house in a flood, or you lose a job, or a child gets sick, or you get sick, does that crush you? When your marriage is on the rocks, does that destroy you? Or do you see people? Do you see them in their slavery? And do you long to free them by offering them the gospel? Where is your hope? Where is your hope? I pray for you and your freedom in Christ and in the gospel. Let's pray.